Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Terry Talks Fiction. Today we're going to be talking about WandaVision, the Marvel Disney TV series that's just concluded over on Disney+. And although I doubt there's anyone who's clicked on this podcast without having already watched WandaVision, this is your first, final and only warning that I'll be talking about everything that's in WandaVision. Everything from the first episodes all the way through to the way that it concludes. So if you haven't seen the show and want to have it completely unspoiled, then quickly go and watch it, and then you can come back here and we'll talk about it. With that out the way, I'd also like to confess that I am a tragic sucker for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Although I might have grown up reading DC comics and through comics, being as The Phantom was the most readily available comic series in Australia in newsagents as I was growing up, I quickly blew through pretty much all of the 90s and early aughts Batman and Superman comics once I really started to get into it when I got to uni. And as such, I never really delved deeply into the Marvel Universe until the movies started to hit the screen. As some people will probably argue differently, but wouldn't get very far if they tried, the MCU is a much more cohesive and frankly better told set of stories than anything that DC has put to the big screen thus far. It really captivated me as the movies continued to just get better and better, build off one another, and launch into just absolute genre-defining set pieces like the first Avengers movie, the Captain America movies, until finally we got to the pair of Avengers films that tied up the first three phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. It's really exciting to see how the best parts of the crossover potential from comic books seem to be making their way into other media like movies and hopefully now like TV shows. As I mentioned in earlier podcasts, I'm much more of a TV series fellow than I am a movie watcher, mainly because of what I see as a greater potential for world-building and exciting exploration of a setting and a character with the multi-phasic approach that you get through a TV series told over a vast stretch of time and multiple episodes than you do in the really compressed storytelling approach of a movie or a trilogy of movies. And while the MCU has done some really remarkable things in the way that it pulls from itself and builds upon itself to create a multi-layered narrative that you can jump into at pretty much any point and enjoy, but get much deeper levels of engagement and entertainment if you have watched those preceding movies. It's really cool to see something like WandaVision coming out, because it's kind of what I hoped to get from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when that series was announced well back in the day. And from the top, I didn't really know very much about what WandaVision was going to be. 
I knew a little bit from some of the promos that it would be sort of set in the style of the Silver Age of television, and that obviously it was going to be telling a story featuring Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, and Vision, who got his head caved in at the end of the first Infinity Saga movie, so there was some explaining to do there. I was really keen to see what they were going to do with those explanations, how that was going to play itself out through the course of the series, and having heard whispers around the Twitter sphere about directors stating that the events of WandaVision would continue on to be referenced in the next phase of Marvel movies, my hopes really soared that this was going to be something that finally sort of broke through that glass mirror where the characters from the TV series always seemed to be able to see through to the other side, but from the movie's perspective, it was as if they weren't there at all, as if they didn't exist in the same universe, would never be referenced and would certainly never be seen. And let me tell you, watching WandaVision was delightful. I absolutely loved every minute of it, from the aesthetic to the characters to the way that the narrative just really delved deeply into a single core theme and reflected that throughout everything else. It was really exciting, it was really fun, and just the way that the show could flip immediately between really slapstick and just really horrifying, was incredible, and really satisfying to watch. And I think the appropriate place to start talking about what made it so good, and why it was so exciting, is addressing that matter of the style and presentation of the episodes. Whoever's decision it was to style each individual episode after a different era of classic American TV sitcoms, was a genius. It played so well and was such a fascinating storytelling device because of the great success that they had in recreating the style of those episodes. I hadn't realised just how much of that style, those various eras worth of TV styles, I'd internalised and just innately understood, even though I wouldn't consider myself particularly a sitcom fan, or a fan, really, of those older styles of TV storytelling. Besides the Batman 66 DVDs, which have a very reserved and very special place in my heart, uh, being as they were the first Batman that I ever experienced as a child, I really haven't spent a lot of time watching things like I Dream of Genie or, you know, even like MASH. Certainly not the Dick Van Dyke show. And yet, when those first episodes of WandaVision were airing, there was so much that I just instinctively understood and recognised about the storytelling in those episodes. Because the people who were creating WandaVision have really done such an exceptional job of recreating the feeling of the aesthetic, just shot by shot, 
going beyond things like just the quality of the film type with the film grain and the shadows and all that that were going on in the black and white to the very early colour with the sort of, you know, the idea of a series going to colour partway through like Bewitched did. They did such an incredible, is such a love letter to the forms that it almost draws attention away from itself and to itself at the same time. I was really wondering throughout those first few episodes why they were presenting the story like this, but they were doing such an incredible and engaging job of presenting it that way that those questions sort of didn't get in the way of me just getting carried away by the story that was being told, which was excellent because that was, it must have been exactly the part of the reason when they sat down and decided to do it like this. And when we finally discover Wanda's history with American TV sitcoms, and how she always sort of has used that as her retreat, this sort of happy family aesthetic where the problems that get introduced can also be resolved, and you can get a cathartic happy ending that sort of resets everything back to the way things should be. It really plays back into the way you were feeling about those first few episodes where before things really started to fall apart, it was almost like she was finally getting that, finally getting that perfect American family life. You know, something that was promised to her and so viciously ripped away and that she feels like she'll never be able to have. And it made it all the more powerful, too, when later on in the series, as the final few episodes were building the climax, that part of the storytelling was basically dropped. From the moment that Vision sort of flies out of Darcy's van, the, uh, taking the sort of that modern family style aesthetic of the interviews with the camera, but also those interviews being completely separate from the reality which is occurring because he goes from sitting outside the van giving the interview to we blip straight back into the van where he's come to the same realization he did during that false interview but flies off with the interview not being addressed at all which was a really funny and fascinating way of doing it since I haven't been a modern family viewer I don't know if that's how it works in that show as well but from that point on it really does sort of abandon the conceit for that last couple of episodes, which is really interesting because it's around about the same time we get Wanda explaining to Vision when the Malcolm in the Middle dad gets apparently crushed by a collapsing veranda that he's built, that it's not that kind of show. She says that specific quote when Vision wonders about him being that character being hurt. And Wanda's like, oh, it's not that kind of show. It's the kind of show where everything will turn out okay. Well, as we're getting to the climax of WandaVision, we sort of drop that sitcom aesthetic because WandaVision, although it might look like it at the start, is not going to turn out to be that kind of show where everything resolves happily ever after at the end. 
And since we're talking about sort of resolutions and just the way that the narrative is being structured across all those episodes, I just want to take time also to say how brilliant the narrative in this was. It is a very simple narrative, but that's not a bad thing. The best comic book stories really are simple in premise, but brilliant in execution. No one's ever going to sit down and say that the concept of justice or the concept of standing up for one's beliefs is a complex storytelling concept, but it's how you build that around that core theme that makes a story engaging or not. And if you're looking at a story which is coping with grief, which is what the core theme driving WandaVision forward is, that sort of matched theme of coping with grief and understanding who you are because of it, it's really reflected so very well by the way that the story is told. And it makes a, although a fraught topic, the very sort of comic booky or sitcommy answer might be traditionally expected to be a very simple moment or a very simple understanding that's come to which then resolves everything happily by the end, but it's not that kind of show. It's the kind of show that will take episodes and scene after scene after scene of Wanda and Vision both desperately trying to come to terms with something that neither of them will vocalise. Just like in the very first episode, where neither of them are willing to admit that they don't know what the love heart on the calendar means, this entire series is really just a reflection of Wanda's inability to accept the role and the situation that life has put her in. Even to the point of populating this entire sub-reality where everything is as it should be, not as it actually is. And the pure power of her subconscious, with the power that she has, taking advantage of this into physical space, really makes you wonder why on the entire Avengers compound there's not a therapist in there somewhere. Because it seems like that would be a much easier answer than taking possession of thousands of people and making them do whatever you want, dancing like puppets on strings so you can work out your issues. And while Wanda might not have intended that to happen when she had her just crushing emotional breakdown when she finally got to the place that Vision had bought for them, she certainly didn't go to any lengths to accept and refute the reality of the situation as she came to understand it was happening while the series was progressing, which is something the narrative plays out really well across the episodes. The tension of whether Wanda actually knows what's going on is built really well for those first few episodes. And although it becomes pretty apparent that yet she is controlling elements of the Hex, and she can decide to alter what is happening, we really didn't 
get the full appreciation of the fact that she was solely responsible for it. And although I tried to keep off spoilers on social media in the lead up to when I got to sat down and watch it, seeing things like people throwing out, oh, could there be uh, Reed Richards involved in something, or is Hydra, because they were very prominently displayed in the adverts in the first few episodes, are they responsible for putting her in some sort of machine or experiment which is populating all of this in an alternate reality or blah blah blah, made it seem like a very possible thing that could be happening. Because right up until the second last episode or so, when Wanda takes her trip back through her memories, and we do see the moment of creation when this entire place came to be, we never really understood because everything we were being told by Wanda was being told to us by this unreliable narrator that she was, this person that was unwilling or unable to confront the actual reality of what was happening because she so desperately wanted it to be real. And even though she knew that it wasn't, because we saw her going out to drop off the drone outside the hex, and we saw her taking deliberate action to prevent the incursions from continuing, we could still sort of believe when she said she didn't really know what was happening because it was clear by that point how much she really wanted what was going on in there to be true. And that's a real strength in the writing and the world building, because it was obvious to us as watchers that this wasn't real, and this wasn't actually happening, because we'd all seen Vision's head get smashed in by Thanos, and we could all understand that yes, something was wrong every time Wanda changed something, or something glitched out without her wanting it to. That flipping between the slapstick and the horrifying, and the way that the storytelling leaned into that, with things such as the recasting of Pietro as the character who played Quicksilver in the other set of Marvel property movies, being the X-Men, really played into the audience's understanding of how the TV works and how the media or the medium is structured. Because we're all used to crossover episodes and guest stars from other series coming in. It's a staple trope of the sitcom genre. But we also know that with acquisition deals and all sorts, it could have been pointing towards a larger conspiratorial truth, which it was, just not the way that we might have expected. And that little bit of deft rug-pulling underneath us really took advantage of the way that the audience and that Wanda know and understand the sitcom genre. And although the narrative really builds itself well within the genre and the genre expectations, it also really feels like an MCU property. Because... The villain in this is a classic MCU villain. It's someone who is driven by a one-sided personal connection to the central character 
and a feeling of either jealousy or that she's been robbed of something. You can't get a more classic MCU Iron Man villain than that. And when we finally do get to the big battle in the sky between both sets of protagonists, and the genre really sort of shifts from the sitcom style to the MCU blockbustery style of storytelling, all the time that's been spent building up the character to get to that point, and our understanding of what the world means and the characters mean to Wanda, give those final scenes a really great and satisfying, meaningful impact on the story. Because while the biff-biff-bam-bam of comic book adaptation storytelling can often be the weakest parts of a movie, here everything was really underscoring the narrative progression up to that point. When Agatha's telling Wanda things like, it's not power that you lack, it's knowledge, we can see that as a very obvious statement of fact, but it also builds our understanding of why at the start of the series Wanda wasn't really sure what was going on, because she's constantly being surprised by the depths of her own powers and what they're capable of. And I think, although certain things like the beeping light on the toaster in the, well, I think the first advert of the series and how that relates to the blinking light of the Stark missile that crashed into their house, which we don't find out about until the second last episode. It's really telling how all the narrative beats that really crescendo here in terms of the plot of Agatha and the plot of Wanda and how each of them are relating to the sort of magical set pieces of this only go back one or two episodes. It really doesn't bring in anything from the first few episodes of the series to tie up because it's a different style of storytelling. And barring the character work, the last few episodes really can be seen as just an MCU movie in and of itself. It's got a similar runtime and it does everything from introducing the antagonist and protagonist, how they know each other, how the whole conflict has built, and how it's resolved, all self-contained within those few episodes. All we really get in the lead-up to that is a whole lot of character work that builds on the theme of Wanda's guilt, Wanda's grief, and Vision's continuing quest to understand just who he is and what his place in the universe is. And I think that's a maybe a good point to transition slightly away from Wanda and away from how this show reflects her journeying through the grief process and talk a little bit about Vision and the ship of Theseus and how he has been built into this series and really explored in depth. Because we haven't really seen a lot of Vision in any of the other movies. He has always been a sort of a third-tier side character. Just coming in at the end of Age of Ultron, just popping in and out of Civil War and Avengers Infinity War. 
and then being dead. So it's really cool to see this exploration of who he is when he's not asking who he is. Because through the first part of this series, he's really tasked with a different question. He's looking for different answers. He wants to know what's happening around them, not so much who he is and what his place in the universe is as this synthetic living being. And on the most surface level, it's just a delight to see the purity of the feeling and the depth of feeling between Vision and Wanda throughout really all of the series, even when Vision is directly confronting Wanda about what's going on, once he realises that she is the architect of everything that's happening, there's still that undercurrent of deep care that runs through it all. You know, this is the same vision in these scenes as the one who wants to cook her some delightful dish from her hometown, but is also doing so to protect people from Wanda so that she won't go down into the spice market to make her paprikash because he's worried for what might happen to her, but also for what she might become. But beyond that, you've also got the really interesting exploration of bringing a character back from the dead. Because that is something that happens an awful lot in comic books. Way too much in comic books. And generally, the MCU has been completely absent of this dangerous precedent and dangerous slope because it is a really slippery slope this one once you start bringing back characters from the dead there's really no place that it can end and that brings no tension and no satisfying conclusion to any sacrifice or any death made in the series vision was the right character to do this with in a way that phil coulson from agents of shield just absolutely wasn't. It was always struck me as a completely bizarre choice for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to have gone with this convoluted and very comic book-esque backstory for how Phil Coulson was actually dead but revived from the dead using a secret program and the blood of a Kree and this and that and memory wipes and all sorts, when they had the very simple and very obvious answer of just saying that Nick Fury lied to the Avengers and Phil Coulson was critically wounded and rushed off to intensive care while he went and dipped the cards in the pool of blood and threw them on the table and said, well, he's, he's dead, yep, he really is, you don't have to go and check that, just take my word for it because that's what they did, none of the Avengers ever saw the body, and it would have been a much simpler solution. But here, with Vision, you don't get the, you don't get that opt-out of this simple solution, you, because we all saw Vision die on screen in a way that means he cannot be brought back, because not only was the Mind Stone carved out of his head, it was afterwards taken somewhere unknown by Captain America. So, as the sword agents 
discovered as they were trying to put Vision back together, they are just missing a critical, one of his critical components. But because he is this synthetic being, the MCU has this opportunity to rebuild him faster, stronger, and as we saw, ultimately, more soulless. It was really cool to have the completely fake, completely made-up vision of Wanda's discussing the Ship of Theseus paradox with the sword vision, because that's really what has been done here, and the MCU is making sure that we understand that what they've brought back is not really bringing a character back from the dead so much as it is rebuilding the character out of other parts. And why it's frankly really good that this didn't turn out to be some sort of devil's bargain or actual magic in that regard, which actually brought him back from the dead. Because then you do open up a whole can of worms with why don't they just go get Stark whenever anything else goes wrong. Or go dragging Black Widow back from Vermeer. Or just skip across realities and bring someone else over like Gamora. This was an interesting and effective way of returning a character that's been killed off that can only work for that character. So we won't have that hanging over us when we look at any other death in the series going forward. And it's especially interesting because even as Vision unlocked the memories that were locked within, because frankly, if you were designing a sophisticated robot that looked like human, there is no reason why you should put all of its processing or memory capacity in the head where a human brain is, because you're not bound by those restrictions. It's really interesting when those memories were unlocked that the fully rebuilt sword version of Vision didn't go to Wanda's side or aid. He flew off. And we understand why, because we've seen in the previous few episodes, and after that, in the final conclusion, we've seen how central to Vision's character that questioning of who he is really is and how much it means to him to understand his place in the universe. And that version of Vision is the one that didn't have all the previous character work of the WandaVision series. It wasn't a Vision who was free of that questioning and able to just focus on his feelings for the woman he loves, because he didn't get those memories. All that was unlocked were the memories that were physically stored within him. So it's going to be very interesting to see whether him flying off is because he is returning to the series for good at some point. Or if he is going to become another Phil Coulson, who is allowed to exist in the series and allowed to watch what's happening in the movies as that impacts the world, but never the twain shall meet. I really hope that, given the way that Wanda's arc in this concluded, that this isn't the case for Vision, because he's been put into a position where it will be very easy to reintegrate him into 
the MCU movies without having to spend the time there explaining how he was rebuilt. And since Wanda is in a very different place and not only has some very physical manifestations of that with the book that she took, but she has the metaphysical meta-narrative changes to her character, which will obviously and definitely be passed on in her next on-screen appearance. We can hope that something similar is done for Vision, because otherwise it seems like such a waste of potential in the series, and nothing else in the series really builds into that, that feeling. Everything here is done so well and so interesting, and really taking advantage of the TV medium in order to tell this story and build out these this character work, which frees it up from being in the next set of movies. And I think that is partly what I'm so excited about going forward into the Marvel Cinematic Universe with these parts of the story in place, is that it does... We don't have to have a movie now which sets all this in place. We've got it. It's there. And if they really double down on this and just take full advantage of having spent the time to really look at these characters and who they are and where they're at and then build that into the next story, that will be just incredible. Because there's so many other side characters in this which got some development. You've got as little development as you know Darcy and Jimmy Woo, who are really just there. To the depth of character development that was done for Captain Rambo, who, you know, we saw as, I'm pretty sure, the kid in Captain Marvel. There's certainly enough hints that that was her and that her mum was the one that went off and started up S.W.O.R.D. Uh, and all that. But just that the they've obviously made a big connection between her and Captain Marvel uh, throughout the series. And then at the end, there's the very clear indication that, yes, she's an old friend of your mother's. Well, we saw some characters like that in the Captain Marvel movie. So I'm just assuming there. But her character has been developed so much and really it's brought us up to speed with this is what's been happening with this character all the way up to what we're going to see her do next. It seems like it's setting itself in a really good position just to marry the styles of storytelling really well so that we can do intense character setup and intense world-building exploration in the TV series and then take advantage of having all that in place to spin out a story in a movie in the compressed format without having to retread all that ground and breaking that that glass wall that sort of one-way mirror that has traditionally always been there between tv series and movies unless you have a movie spinning out from something like a a star trek or a stargate or something like a, a series that has been established for a long time first and the only people who are going to watch the movie are the people that have seen the series. Inverting that and really just having everything exist in the same continuity and impacting each other will be such, such a benefit for storytelling 
overall. And I'm really excited now to see what Captain America and the Winter Soldier does as well in terms of building that relationship and building out what these characters are going to be and mean so that when they appear in a movie in Phase 4, again, we don't have to spend time bringing the audience up to speed. We don't have to do the first half of the movie getting the team together because we now we need to see where everyone is and what they've been doing and why they've got a vested interest now in going on to the second half of the movie, which is where we'll have the actual plot beginning and, and ending. You can just hit the ground running and just tell a better story. And if it's another story that resolves like this one does, I am going to cry again. Because I am such a sucker for the sort of Lotus Eater machine style false realities where the character to escape has to own the fact that the people around them that they are so invested in and want so desperately to be a part of their lives that they have to watch them die again or they have to make the choice to end their existence like Wanda and her kids her Vision's kids complete fabrications completely unreal but they are real to Wanda and they think they're real the same way that her Vision thinks that he is real and seeing Vision there at the end talking with Wanda as they both accept that this reality is going to come to an end was soul-destroying and heart-rending. And it wasn't the happy ending that a sitcom promises, but it was a necessary ending, and it was a character-building one. It's not that kind of show. It's its own kind of show. It's an MCU kind of show. And that means that it tells a story really, really well. But I've blabbed on about this for way too long and only got through a third of what I put down for notes that I wanted to talk about. What did you guys think of WandaVision? Have you watched it? I hope you have if you got to this point of the podcast because otherwise, whoa, I wrecked a few things for you there. Really, guys, this is one I cannot wait to talk more about on the Discord server or the Facebook groups or Twitter. Hit me up with what you felt about it, how it impacted you, or did you feel that it was good or bad? There's a lot you could point at and say, well, these elements were weak. Um, personally, I feel like this show did so much right that it far outweighs the weaknesses but I'd be really keen to get into discussing both sides of the coin if there's something there that really got your goat or really got you fired up. Please reach out on the Discord server linked in the show notes or Facebook under Terence McManus, Terry Talks Fiction, 
or wherever else you can reach out. I'd love to continue this conversation and just marinate in the storytelling and character development that was WandaVision. Next week, not this week, not last week, but next week we'll finally get around to getting back on track with the planned episodes for the podcast and we'll have a review of Brandon Sanderson's Rhythm of War. Now that I finally realised and got sorted out when WandaVision was actually releasing. Again, it's going to be hard to truncate a sort of 1,300-page book into a reasonably length podcast, but I look forward to the challenge of that, and I look forward to speaking about it with you all then. So until the next podcast, take care, reach out, continue the conversation, and I look forward to talking with you again soon.